Going Linux, episode 435, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, do like our other listeners have done during this episode and send us an email at goinglinux at gmail.com or a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Happy New Year, Bill. Happy New Year, Larry. 2023. Wow. Yeah. First episode of the new year and... The weather report is, as it's it was cold. last time, cold. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's a balmy so much 22 for... degrees right now. Yeah. It's not that cold here, but yeah, it's colder than it would normally be. And um, I am, I'll put up with it. I'll put up with it. We got great weather during the summertime and uh, in the springtime and the fall. So to have a little bit of seasonal chill during the winter is okay with me. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So there you go. We've got a lot of stuff to cover here, Bill. Maybe we should just get right into it. Uh, I think you're right. I was reading through it. Uh, we have quite a few. So let's get started. Okay. Let's start with a voicemail from Phil, who, uh, well, let's let Phil speak for himself. Here we go. Hi, Larry and Bill. This is Phil Ekimoff from Rock Valley, Iowa. I was wondering if you guys had a preference between GNOME or XFTE or, um, the name escapes me, um, the one that Kubuntu runs, KDE Plasma. I'm a distro hopper, apparently. I think the last time I called you guys, I was running Zorin OS, and then I tried Pop OS, and then I tried Manjaro, and now I'm thinking of moving to Kubuntu. I'm running a 10-year-old laptop, a 12-year-old probably at this point. It's a Dell 3560 um, with a little screen. The battery has given up the ghost, but it seems to run Linux just fine. So I like Linux for its ability to revive old computers. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, Phil. Uh, yes. Yeah. So you've got an older laptop with a small screen and a dead battery. I can relate. <laughs> I've got one of those. Yeah. Um, and you are, you asked about our preference, GNOME, XFCE, or KDE Plasma. Hmm. If it's for that older laptop, GNOME has gotten better, uh, in terms of the resources that it uses. Uh, but XFCE is probably your best choice for that because it's lighter, consumes less of the computer's resources. I'm assuming because it's older, you don't have a lot of RAM uh, or processor speed. And XFCE can help you with that. Personal preference, uh, b between all three of those, I would choose 
Gnomer XFCE over KDE, but that's just personal preference for me. What about you, Bill? Uh, with those three, I would probably go XFCE if it's that old of a laptop myself. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. I mean, they, they have made, uh, KDE much more, uh, memory efficient, but I, I think X, uh, XFCE, uh, has the top billing there. Yeah. And the only thing, it, it seems Phil isn't having problems with this, but, um, the battery, if it's removable, I'd get it out of there because, you know, when they die, or maybe sometimes they die because of, uh, the battery swelling, if it's a lithium ion, if it's a, an older battery, it, it's not lithium and it isn't probably going to swell like the lithium batteries do. But if that's what you've got in there, take it out. Uh, if it's an older battery, you can probably leave it in. But sometimes the computer itself doesn't like it when the battery is out. So when you try to run the operating system, it does some funky things because it can't find the battery. Uh, not so much, you know, uh, with uh, other style computers like desktops and so on that don't really come with a battery, but laptops, they kind of expect to have the battery in there. So if you do have some problems with it, that may be what's going on. But the older batteries, I think you can still leave them in the chassis without any problems, especially if they're not removable. Okay. So we have some more uh, voicemails. Uh, Sean sent us uh, two of them. And uh, first was uh, in two parts. And it was regarding accessibility software. Suggested He suggested an application asking about minions versus gremlins and an update on the Helios prog- uh, project. The the third is uh, also provide an additional recommended application. So let's listen to what Sean has to say. Okay. Aloha from Utah. This is the number one pedantic minion, Sean NZ17 Robinson. I heard you guys were doing an accessibility episode, and that reminded me of a few things. Have you or the listeners ever heard of XMAG? spelled X-M-A-G. It is a GUI program that can be used with pretty much any Linux distribution from the last 20, 25 years, 30 years possibly. It's been included with X11.org, Xfree86, the X11 windowing manager. Since the very early days of Linux, it might even possibly be older than Linux, I'm not too sure. But what is this utility? Well, XMAG, spelled S-M, uh, sorry, X-M-A-G, is actually quite useful for, as the name seems to imply, it's used for magnifying the screen. So what'll happen is you'll type in the command, you'll get a little cursor prompt with a um, changed mouse cursor that looks like a right angle with a rectangle underneath of it. You click that little square and it'll cause a zoom in on the area of the screen underneath. So you can see it zoomed in to several times its normal size. With that, you can either just close the window, uh, click the replace button to pick a different part on the screen to magnify, uh, click new to blank out the window, and use the select and paste commands 
for, I believe, copying and pasting the uh, zoomed-in image. So that's a nice little utility, which is very little in size, only a few uh, kilobytes, I believe. And that's included with pretty much every Linux distribution. You don't have to go out and install it separately. It's just already installed. Um, perhaps not if it's using Wayland, but I believe um, it's probably included with almost every Linux distro under the sun. Very useful little utility, whether you're hard of seeing or not. Um, also, on your episode, you mentioned the Open Dyslexic font. And I've used this font myself. It's in a few different styles. And it can be pretty useful, whether you have dyslexia or if you just want something that looks a little different. If you are your listeners, use Open Dyslexic, though. I'd recommend that if you really appreciate the font, the creator of the program, who's continuously developing the font, is uh, someone with a Patreon account, part two. So, yes, he'll appreciate any financial support that you give to his Patreon. By the way, I was wondering, since we've got lots of minions here on Going Linux, is a minion like a gremlin? They both seem little, and they both seem like they can be troublemakers, but they don't mean to be mean with their mischief, right? Oh, by the way, was it Larry or was it Bill that was going and complaining about how the Windows Microsoft GUI keeps changing, and now it's just an unwieldy, difficult-to-use monster of a thing, and not as simple and, and straightforward as it used to be? Well, there's an open-source program for Windows called Open Shell, written as two words. It's actually uh, used to be a closed source program, but was made open source when after about 10 years the creator decided to discontinue it. And it supports, um, I believe, Windows Vista 7, 8.1, 8, Windows 10, Windows 11, and so forth. And it, you can customize it to make the UI more like Windows XP, or Windows 7, as well as not just the shell for Windows. You can also change Windows Explorer and a few other things to customize it and take the your favorite parts from various um, previous Windows GUIs as well as uh, other OSs, which you might prefer the options of. It's, it's very nice, and it's free. Um, also, real quick, before I close this out, I'd like to go and give a shout-out to... Um, Recycled Electronics and GNU Linux Used for Education. Their website's at reglue.org. The man who'd been running this for almost the last 20 years, uh, Ken Helio Starks, he actually uh, finished building his final seven computers that he gave to uh, needy students and their families earlier during April 2022. And um, that was his uh, final roundup of uh, computers for um, low-income families in the Texas area, and he's decided to finally uh, retire to re to enjoy the final years of his life with those he cares about, spending more time with family and such, and I can't blame him. So for everybody that worked with Helios and Fixed by Linux and Reglue.org, I appreciate all that you've done over the last almost 20 years for the Linux community and all the rest of us uh, in Texas, etc. So, that's all for this voicemail from your number one pedantic minion from Utah, Aloha, 
from Sean NZ17 Robinson. Bye. Hey, Larry and Bill. This is Sean NZ17 Robinson. So, aloha from Utah, from your number one pandentic minion. I was calling in today to the voicemail line to say that another useful utility, both for accessibility purposes and everyday purposes, is SayTime, spelled S-A-Y-T-I-M-E. SayTime, like the name might seem to imply, will cause the computer to say the time. This is good for having it announce the time for visually impaired users, or announcing the time once per hour, every half hour, every 15 minutes, or however often you would like, as it includes things like uh, an introductory phrase. You can also have it speak the seconds, minutes, or hour. By default, it'll speak all three. But you can control the formatting as well as specifying the audio device for it to use and how often it should repeat in terms of seconds. So you could have it say something every you know minute or every hour, however often. And also control the volume. Simple enough to use the program, just type say time. Usually it works, no problem, no options required. If you want though, you can use different sounds if you created your own recordings, or found them online. Personally, I found that it used to work perfectly, but now thanks to changes with Pulse Audio, I need to specify the argument hyphen T space AO so that instead of clipping the audio, it plays it right as an also audio file. Um, well, anyways, plenty of more information will be found at its info page or man page. Thanks again for the show, guys. Have a great day. Bye. So thanks, Sean. Um, I, I see that you use the dialectic, uh, I can never say that word, uh, fonts. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. And as far as Minion versus Gremlin, um, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, Larry? Well, let's see. Um, I think Minion's... It came into popularity uh through the uh the the movie the minions and the various spin-off things and gremlins that's a whole other animal uh, yeah, you can't feed them after midnight <laughs> right exactly another movie uh but the the word minion also um comes from um it's, it's an old term related to i think probably uh, olden times with, uh, uh, kings and queens and stuff. And the minions were kind of like the serfs, um, uh, maybe, maybe not treated as badly as the serfs. Uh, I don't know for sure. So they're, they're very different than gremlins. And we certainly don't treat our minions badly at all. We kind of elevate them to the higher ranks of our listeners, as you know, Sean, being our number one pedantic minion. Um, so yeah, not not at all the same thing. They are little and they can be troublemakers, but uh and and you know, minions don't have to be little. I'm sure we have some six foot or seven foot minions out there. <laughs> uh yeah. Uh and uh, regarding your suggestions, XMag, yeah, that's one that I could not find in the repositories uh for Ubuntu Mate at least. However, it is 
installed on Ubuntu Mate by default, as you suggest. And it may be something, maybe it's part of the kernel. I don't know. But it uh, it is a package that's already on my computer. And as you suggest, it looks like it's on any version of Linux that's capable of running X. So uh, the X window manager. So, uh, yeah, uh, great suggestion uh, as a command line screen magnifier. Interesting stuff. We'll have a link to that um, in our show notes. Uh, you also suggested OpenShell for people using Windows and wanting to uh, customize it to get rid of some of the more recent changes in the GUI. Yeah, uh, it used to be called, what was it called before OpenShell? It was something else, Classic Shell. And I guess they stopped doing that and they made it open source. And, uh, yeah, so now it's available for free. Don't cool. think it's being updated, but hey, uh, what, what, what do you need with Windows? You're probably going to switch to Linux anyway if you're listening to this podcast. And I hear that, uh, Ken Sparks, he sent in saying that he had, um, step back from i think it's now called the Helios project uh yeah it's called, called Helios for a while yeah um, i think there are actually several branches of that Helios project that uh, okay. reglue was one of them but yeah i i couldn't tell from the website whether it's still continuing but i think it is they're still accepting donations so i'm assuming they're still providing computers for people in the Austin Texas area Awesome. Yep. Uh, and then Sean's last email was uh, say time. Um, and as Sean says, it does what it says on the tin. It says the time. <laughs> Interestingly, you can control the formatting, whether you want it to just give the hour, the minutes, the seconds, or some combination of that. You can set it to repeat. You can set which output device you want it to say the time on. And you can control the volume uh, all from this command line application. Or you can just type in say time and it'll just say the time when you command it to do that. So interesting stuff. We'll have a link to the man pages on that. And, uh, thanks, Sean, for all that. That, uh, that's a lot of information in, uh, several, uh, email, uh voicemails. So great. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Our first email is from Tim. Uh, and we'll split this into a couple of sections because it's a long one. He provided feedback on our episode about Linux on the two-in-one laptop. He says, in response to your episode discussing running Linux on a two-in-one convertible, episode 433 from December last year, I thought I would add my two cents worth. I recently was given an older Aspire Switch 11 two-in-one, barely running Windows 8, I quickly zapped Windows and tore my hair out trying to get Linux on it. Eventually, I discovered that for reasons above my pay grade, it is limited to a 32-bit operating system, even though it has a 64-bit Intel Atom processor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Acer has a habit of doing that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, continuing with his email. There aren't too many distros with 32-bit versions anymore, and I narrowed my choice down to MX Linux, since it was well-supported and was claimed to have good touchscreen support. I did try Debian and had poor results with touchscreen, Wi-Fi, etc. Installing was a bit tricky with 
its circa 2012 implementation of UEFI. Once running, it is a usable machine. For daily driver type activity, I would be hard pressed to use it. Slow, tiny screen, limited to 32-bit apps, etc. But for reading ebooks, web browsing, minor use with office apps, etc., it's fine. The screen detaches, and although a bit heavy, I can hold it up while reading lying down. And then Tim continued, uh, he said, here are a couple of issues that Tim said he had. On-screen keyboard isn't automatic like, say, a real tablet or cell phone. It can be called up from the login screen to enter a password. However, if it has any type of device to tell position, MX Linux isn't capable of using it to change the screen orientation on the fly. He said he had to do that by hand. MX Linux, I f- he says he finds it sturdy and well thought out, but the menu systems seem incredibly cluttered to him. And um, he said, I can never find what I want, especially using it with a touchscreen. And the partial specs for Tim's machine is a Acer Aspire Switch 11 SW5 111. It has an Atom 64-bit quad-core uh, um, processor up to 1866 megahertz, 64 gigabytes of storage, the MX Linux 32-bit, and the kernel is 5.105.10. Thanks, thanks for the great show. Never missing an episode li- listening while walking the dog, Tim. Well, thanks, yeah, Tim. well, that's a great time to to listen. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> you know, MX Linux um, is a great distribution. Uh, I've used it before in my mm-hmm. travels, and um, they get a they do a lot of uh, of uh, work to make sure it works on a lot of machines. And like I said, they they're one of the few projects that has a thirty two um, bit di- uh, distro. Uh, for that, um, yeah, I, I think most of his problem is is that the, those Acer Aspire switches, from what I understand, have uh, some uh, uh, proprietary quirks. You know, they it's made to run uh, Windows. So if he's got it running, you know, there's a few hic- uh, little niggly things, but. Uh, yeah, that's great. That's good. Yeah, and this, the menus, I know what he's talking about. You know, um, Tim, you can move those menus around uh, the screen. I usually uh, moved it to the left uh, because I found it more usable that way, and you can expand it. And uh, But there is a lot. They throw a lot into that um, that distribution, so I, I, you know, it comes with uh, quite a bit of uh, software installed. So, yeah, I would say uh, it's more for a mouse, but you know, he apparently can use it with a touchscreen. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as auto rotating the screen when you you know turn it sideways or upside down or whatever, that's not something that I've had any success with. Uh, with the tablet that I have, or the two-in-one that I have, rather. And one of our listeners who sent in an email that we'll read later, Chris, has written a script that actually does the auto-rotation for him 
uh, in his on his uh, computer, but it uh, did not work on my two-in-one. I think it's because the gyroscope that it depends on is not accessible by Ubuntu Mate on this particular piece of hardware that I have. So your mileage may vary trying to get that to work. And I have simply, as I've said before, created some scripts and some buttons to run those scripts so that when I turn it, I tap the button on the screen with a finger or a stylus or the mouse, and it just rotates the screen for me, disables the trackpad if that's what I want it to do, and uh, it, away we go from there. It's not a lot of inconvenience when you have a button on the screen to do the rotation. Uh, and if you're interested in that, we have an article on that that we'll put in the show notes on how to do that. So there we go. Thanks for the uh, for the email, Tim. Okay, uh, another uh, longish one from Pete. Uh, he provides us some feedback on our accessibility software episode. Hi, firstly, thanks for covering access technology on Linux. I have recently started using Linux Mint, Mate Edition, to get some extra use out of an old laptop. I did try the accessible Coconut distro, but actually find Mint better. Just in case anyone listening did need some clarification, JAWS is expensive. However, it does provide a massive level of functionality, including scripting and a huge level of customization. You can, as I did, often get it discounted in the summer, around the time of the CSUN conference. Now, having blown the trumpet, there is a very good alternative for Windows called NVDA, Non-Visual Desktop Access. Now that you mention it, Pete, I think some of our listeners have mentioned that as well. He says, this is open source and has many plugins to add functionality. It is not quite JAWS, but until I knew about the discounts, I used it and loved it. I suspect that when I stop working and don't need the power of JAWS, I will go back to being an NVDA user when using Windows. It would be nice to see NVDA ported to Linux. I'd love to know a little bit more about whether there are any extensions to Orca. It's pretty good, but some things like OCR would be really useful. OCR, for those who aren't familiar, is optical character recognition. I'd also like to know about other programs which provide assistive technology. I have come across LIOS, or L-I-O-S, which is an OCR app but has a problem with my Canon multifunction device. Thanks again for a really informative show. Best wishes, Pete. Yeah, thanks, Pete. And as we come across accessibility software or extensions for Orca, we'll mention them on the show. And of course, as always, if any of our listeners have any suggestions in that area, we're happy to pass them on on our podcast in an episode. We'll read your feedback. Thanks, Absolutely. Pete. So our next email comes from Phil, and he ha- asks about running Microsoft executable files on Linux. I have a newbie question that maybe will make for good content. I looked this up a number of times, but I can't just fathom why Linux can't run 
.exe files. If, for instance, Linux can natively run PDF, .docx, JPEG, etc., etc., why can't anyone make Linux run .exe natively? Thanks and love the show, Phil. Okay, um, .exe is executable files. Um, PDF, docx, JPEG, or image files, or um, documents. The uh, Linux, if I'm if I'm right, and correct me if I'm wrong, Larry. Since um, Linux uses a different architecture and has different ways of running files, DXE uh, without, I, I guess, a, a layer in between can't really run them. Because it doesn't, it uses a totally different architecture. Is that? I'm not a programmer, but that's what I've heard. What do? You, what yeah. is that about? Right? Yeah, I think your summary that the other, like PDF, docx, and so on, are documents, and exe are executable files or programs. Is is basically the the bottom line of why it will won't run. You're not actually running a PDF. You're reading it. And a docx, same thing. And you're viewing a, a JPEG. So it's not actually running that file as a program. It doesn't do that. Uh, whether it's Linux or Windows or Mac, it's not running those things as a program. Uh, and you are running an exe file under Windows as a program. And as you were starting to say, Bill, the program needs to be able to access the hardware layer of the computer. That is the uh, USB port itself or the screen itself. The way it does that in Windows is very different from the way it does that in Linux or on Mac. So to run a Windows program on Linux, you need to translate between the the two different programs. And that is what a program like Wine does. It says, oh, okay, uh, uh, Linux is speaking French and uh, Windows is speaking German. And we've got to have a translation between German and French to be able to send a file to a USB port uh, when the, the, the German command is given by uh, Windows uh, we've got to be able to say to Linux, here's what they meant in French, for example. And uh, I, that's the simplest way I can put it, is that they're using different languages and you need a translator. And that's why EXEs will never run natively in Linux. And they'll never run natively on the Mac. And the Mac programs will never run natively on either of the other two platforms either. So uh, it's just a different way of doing things. And, you know, I would say that you, you can try Wine and see if it will, um, might have support for the program, but it's, um, uh, it's kind of a hit or miss. So, yeah, it's, it's like Larry said, you know, French trying to talk to German, German talk to French. You need a, uh, an interpreter to figure it out. Yep. Exactly. And that's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. And that's, that's, Developing a whole program itself, that interpreter. Just to do that. Yeah. And th that's where wine or bottles or 
play on Linux come in. Uh, and all three of those rely on the wine technology to make that work. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. So hopefully that explains it. Hopefully we didn't get too deep. Not that we really went deep on that, but, um, yeah. <laughs> for somebody who's not a coder, it's, uh, it can be very, very deep. Yeah. It's not as easy as just, uh, you know, getting it up and running on a separate system that wasn't even written for it's there's a lot of moving parts that have to work as the people from wine can tell you yeah and and the bottom line here is that when you're talking about executable programs or applications they are designed for an operating system and won't natively work on other operating systems uh, and when you're talking about documents or other things that appear within the applications, pictures, documents, PDFs, those are all files that a program can open. They're not programs themselves. We hope that cleared it up a little bit. Yep, I hope so. So our next email is from George from Tulsa, who commented uh, additionally on my two-in-one laptop and the two-in-one that he has uh, because he was inspired to order it based on our episode here. Uh, Hi, Larry. I've had several Chromebook two-in-ones. Even the Superlight Asus Flip 10.1 made an awkward tablet, and while everything worked out of the box, I just didn't find much use for the tablet or tent mode or on-screen drawing, which was sort of possible. But thanks to episode 433, considering the two-in-one aspect ratio, I ordered a computer, and he gives us the specs on the computer. It's an LG Gram 2002 laptop, 16T90Q, two-in-one, with a WQXGA screen. That's high-resolution screen with 2560 by 1600 max. It's a 16-inch touchscreen with an Intel Evo 12th generation Core i5, 16 gigabytes of RAM, 512 gigabytes SSD. It came with Windows 11, and he bought it at a discount with sales tax that delivered slightly over $1,000. Although the description says green, it's not actually green in color, or at least his isn't. Maybe it's green as in uh, environmentally green or something. Reviews of the hardware and Linux compatibility were good. I've been setting it up today. I chose the beta of Mint Cinnamon 21.1 because, well, cinnamon. And be, <laughs> and beta because the final release is due this month. And he sent this to us in December. There's some risk in the beta, but it isn't a primary machine. And by installing the beta, I won't face an upgrade in a few days. And then George continued by going... Getting it going was easy. I include the how here to keep it in order, and sometimes this part is daunting, especially for new users or newbies, as he wrote. As one guy carefully suggested, I spammed the F2 key as the laptop booted. That took me to an um, uncomplicated UEFI BIOS. Here's what I, what to do here. And once you get to that screen, you turn off Secure Boot. You move the USB boot to the top of the boot order. You reboot with a live USB stick plugged in. And you test for 
you test the live USB. If everything works, install and then reboot. Remove the live USB stick when prompted. I found the system would not reboot with anything other than the power cable connected to either the USB-C or USB-A ports. I have a USB-C Ethernet dongle and had a USB-A mouse plugged in. Then he says, to fix that, return to the BIOS by spamming the F2 key, move the USB boot to the bottom of the list, turn off boot to LAN. I don't know if my experience with screen rotation and the stylus as a result of running Mint 21.1 Cinnamon uh, with the kernel 5.6.4 or the 5.15 kernel, but rotation and the LG stylus worked out of the box. To get the rotation to properly work required only turning off disable automatic uh, screen rotation in the settings tab of the display. Both my finger and stylus work to choose menus, and in the drawing application, this is part of the Mint install. Um, before finding out I didn't need to do anything, I jumped straight into Larry's guide and um, xset wacom dash dash list devices reported a slightly different list than Larry's, but this is different hardware. There was no response at all to the XIN put list dash props, which is probably for the best since I didn't mess up, which seems to be already working. Interestingly, they've implemented things differently on the LG Gram than they have on my Lenovo. Um, for Maybe because you're using Mint and I'm using... Ubuntu Mate, but I do not have the ability to turn off disable automatic screen rotation in the settings tab of the display application. I think they've implemented that differently in Mint, or perhaps it's just that the sensor isn't there uh, in Linux, in the kernel of Linux that I have, and it just doesn't just, uh, offer that as a setting because it can't find it. So one way or another, um, I'm glad it's working for you and you didn't have to go through the manual rotation that I have to do. But it sounds like this is, uh, this is a great device to use for the purpose that we're using it, which is occasionally use it as a, uh, as a tablet. Yeah, Larry, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, I seem to remember that, uh, I know you have two different makes of it, but a lot of times uh, it depends on the revision of the hardware too. It could be, to say it's, uh, we'll say an X10. I don't, I don't know what that means, but say the model's an X10 and you buy a one and then they refresh it. They might change some parts of something that might not have worked, uh, does work, or they change the sensor because of, you know, supply issues or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, just because, um, of that small change, it will, it can make it work or not make it work. I would think they would use some of the same parts. I know he has a real high definition screen, but, you know, he probably has different sensors, maybe. Yeah. And it's a different manufacturer. So mm -hmm. you can expect that they're going to use different parts. And with computers designed for Windows, 
that happens a lot. Um, they will change even within the same model. Sometimes they will use a different network, uh, card in the early versions, you know, the early releases, or later on they may switch vendors or they may switch back and forth depending on what's available at the time. And they have the right to do that. But with computers designed for Windows, they oftentimes do that or more often do that than other devices. And, you know, it, it's rare that they will do that on Apple hardware. Uh, they typically choose their hardware and stick with it. And so that makes it easier for them to write the operating system because they don't have to accommodate some weird version of a, uh, of a USB driver or something, uh, that they do in, in Windows. And I've noticed that computers designed for Linux, they try to stick with the same hardware as well on these devices. Or at the very least, when they do have to switch hardware, they choose Linux compatible hardware. So it's not a problem. So this is, Typically just a problem when you're putting Linux on a system that's designed for Windows that originally came with Windows. You really aren't sure whether it's going to work or not. Uh, if, unless you can find the specs on it and dig into, okay, what is, what is the device that they use for Bluetooth here? And is it Linux compatible or am I going to have to compile a driver for it? Uh, and all of that stuff goes into researching your hardware. And it looks like the LG Gram, or at least the very specific model that George has uh, purchased, is pretty Linux compatible. That's really good to know. Yeah. Okay, we've only got a couple of emails left, so let's get to Chris's email. He also commented on my new toy. Hello, Larry and Bill. I'm responding to the section about Larry's new toy from episode 432. Apparently, you've written your own script to reconfigure the coordinate transform matrix, but your solution is manual. There is a project, mine actually, that does this automatically. And he gives us a link to that. Uh, I usually only use the rotation script standalone. However, there is an option to disable the auto rotation and or the keyboard. The latter should create a sysTray icon to enable the keyboard again with any pointer. But if it doesn't, I would very much like to have a bug report. It would be very nice if you could try it out and share with the Going Linux community. Kind regards, Chris. So I did try Chris's uh, script, and I actually tried modifying Chris's script to get it to work on my computer as well. And what I did find is not necessarily bugs in the script, but the fact that it is, again, relying on the accelerometer that's in the hardware to do the auto rotation. And for some reason, Linux doesn't seem to have the driver for that auto rotation hardware uh, embedded in the kernel. And so your script just doesn't work for me. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate, but we will provide a link to your uh, auto rotation screen and mice um, application or script if you, if you wish 
uh, for anyone who can make that work. So I know that the script is written for a very specific computer. And so if you happen to have the computer that Chris has, uh, this might just work for you out of the box or might work with uh, minimal modification. So give it a try if you're so inclined. Yeah, and uh, thanks, thanks for submitting it to us, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. So uh, another email come from Daniel who suggested a topic for a future show. He writes, here is a topic which I think could be of interest with Linux users. Is iPhone or Android a favorite? Which one could be most advantageous for one using Linux? What do you think about this topic? Um, I think it's a interesting idea. Uh, I know um, I use an iPhone. Um, I've used Android also. And uh, I don't really have a preference. I mean, I have a preference for personal use. I like the iPhone a little bit better. But uh, the and the Android is uh, is perfectly usable too. Um, I don't know, Larry. What do you think about that topic? Um, we're not really a mobile phone uh, podcast, so I don't know whether it's something that we could actually um, leverage from a Linux perspective other than what Daniel suggests, which is looking at it from a, how can I access the information that's on the phone or how can I control the phone from my Linux computer. And I'm, I don't know whether there's enough depth in there. We have touched on that in a really older episode, a very old episode, and I think we have a uh, an article, again, a really old article on our website uh, when I had an Android phone. iPhone, um, just, just to kind of summarize where we're at with that technology, the iPhone, when you plug in the iPhone to your Linux computer, you can get photos off of the iPhone. You can access some of the files that are on there. And I haven't tried it with recent iPhones, but I know that there are some things in the phone itself, the phone operating system, that prevent you from accessing the information that's on the phone. So you don't have full access to everything. Android, on the other hand, when you plug it in, uh, physically plug it in, and there are some applications that allow you to connect by Bluetooth or other things uh, that do give you access pretty much to any of the files that are on the phone, so you have full access. And in addition, depending on the version of Android or whether you've rooted the phone or not, you might even be able to uh, use uh, X-Connect, I think it's called, uh, or maybe it's K-Connect. Uh, there's one of those programs that actually lets you connect and control some of the phone's features if it's an Android phone, and you can do things like type text messages on your computer screen that actually go through your phone, and you can respond and read text messages, things like that. So, yeah, it's uh, there's a little bit of um, difference. Uh, actually, there's a lot of difference between the two operating systems and how they interact, and the iPhone is really not something that you can take full advantage of like you can with Android. It's actually K-Connect, I believe. K-Connect. There you go. Yeah, so 
I think we've just described what we would describe in the episode. So it would be a five minute episode, not something we really want to do. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a topic we can include in an episode. Yeah. A, yeah I think a topic yeah. would be better. Yeah. So anyway, we'll give some thought to that, but uh, I've given you most of my thoughts at a high level, but we haven't tried it in a long time, or at least I haven't. And I don't have an Android phone that I could use to connect anymore. So I don't know whether that'll work or not with an iPhone. We can give it a try. Hmm. Yeah, sounds like uh, I might be experimenting later this afternoon. <laughs> there we go. We just gave Bill something to do. <laughs> oh, I have things to do, but that uh, I'm sure you did, do. But this one sounds more more fun than what I should be doing. So it'd yeah. be a great distraction. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, that's it for our emails and voicemails and all the contributions from our. Uh, listeners, and I think they've been saving it up over the holiday. What do you think? I think so, and it's good to see these uh, emails and voicemails. We love voicemails. Yes, yes we do, because all we have to do is listen and comment. (laughs) (laughs) It's less work, Uh, but it's always good to hear our listeners' voices too, so that's great. Um, So our uh, next episode... If we are able, we'll have the next part of our series on getting started with Linux, unless you have some surprises for us, Bill. Do you have oh, any you never know with me, that you're working but... on? Yeah, it would, wouldn't be a surprise if we told you about it right now, would it? Even though you can see uh, when I write the show notes what I'm working on, so it's not much of a surprise, but yeah. Uh, not to me, but to our listeners <laughs> it could be. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But until uh, until we write that episode and record it, You can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We provide the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.